Hey everyone, welcome back to the Microcast and Microcosm Community Call. Today's call is all about the habits we see our most successful athletes exhibit in the training process. This isn't a call about consistency. Successful athletes have already laid that groundwork, and it's not a call about choosing the right goals. Successful athletes already understand that process. This is about the small things, the glue that holds everything together and helps perpetuate the process forward through ups and downs, season after season, goal after goal. It's about getting to the nuts and bolts of what separates athletes who grow continually over time and athletes who don't. On this call, we talk specifically about habits, routines, attitudes, and ways of being that we see most predominantly in successful athletes and offer tangible ways for athletes to adopt those same habits to level up. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, please do us a favor and rate and review us on your preferred listening platform. This helps us continue to build our community and get more interesting and important conversations out there. As usual, if you have any feedback, a question for a future call, or are looking for support in your running journey, please visit us on the web at microcosm-coaching.com or contact us at microcosmcoaching at gmail.com. Good to see everybody. Um, oh, let me get my notes. So today's call is all about the what we kind of think are the best habits of the effective athlete, the effective runner, the runner who progresses uh, season after season and accomplishes, you know, the the big goals they set for themselves along the way. Um, this isn't a call about the small stuff like consistency because the effective runner already understands those principles and puts them into action. This is kind of like the next layer to all of that. And, you know, for the athletes on our team who are listening to this, you know, 99% of you guys are already consistent. So we don't need to talk about those, you know, larger, more fundamental habits. We kind of need to get into yeah, the nuts and bolts on this stuff on, um, you know, what really, what really separates athletes who accomplish their goals year after year um, and athletes who, you know, who struggle with that process. And um, I feel like we've got a good list of things here, but certainly it's not going to be everything. Um, if you're listening and you want to participate, I would love to hear um, along the way from you guys about um, what little things have been successful for you all as um, you know you've accomplished your big goals year after year and you know as I look at a lot of people on this call um, there are many of you who have accomplished many many goals um, you know over the past couple of years with us and then even probably beyond that before working with us um, so your insights are really helpful. Um, yeah. So I'm excited about this call because I think habits are are really fundamental, right? Like when we figure out what works for us, we get into those patterns and then we consistently repeat that stuff. Um, that tends to help us move forward, especially during challenging moments where a lot of people get hung up and then kind of fall off the, the wagon. And we want to be able to either right the ship right away, or we want to be able to stay on the wagon and continue to work and move forward, even when things are challenging. Um, so yeah, let's, um, let's start out with like a, tr with, you know, the habits of an athlete from a training perspective, you know, from a, a doing the work perspective. Um, I think my first principle for athletes is easy days have to be easy and hard days are run fast. Um, and so the big difference there is hard days aren't hard, hard days are fast. And we want to get out of successful athletes starting to get out of the mindset that hard days are run hard. And we're going all in and we're really charging in our workouts and we're putting it all out there. Um, and I actually think that's an incorrect way of looking at things. Um, you know, we're trying to, to compartmentalize and balance our stresses. That's why we truly keep our easy days easy. But when we're running 
our workouts, when we're doing our long runs, the emphasis should be on fast because fast, the connotation there is smoothness. The connotation with fast is endurance. Um, and so when we think hard, a lot of impact forces, we tend to run more robotically. We tend to not run with our best form. We're forcing things. And, um, you know, when we do that, we lose important factors, neuromuscular factors that can really lead to better performance over time. And because running is so neuromuscular, we really want to always emphasize being smooth at all effort levels. So easy days, easy, hard days, fast. And by fast, we really want to say smooth. Um, we want to think long-term. And in the same vein, guys, another just super, super important component to this is never go all out on a workout. Never go all out on a long run. We're saving those efforts for race day. We're saving going to the well for those very specific moments throughout the year. And there's a couple of reasons why successful athletes do this. And this isn't my thought. I actually got this from Kipchoge reading and listening to an interview that he gave about his training. And I thought that this was a really important point. Um, he never goes to maximal effort on a workout. He always stops a stride or a step or two before that. And because going really, really hard all the time is really hard for the body to adapt to running. We talk about this a lot. You guys probably get this. I've talked about it till we're all blue in the face, but running has a lot of impact forces. So the harder you run, the harder it is on your body, the longer it takes to recover. And it has diminishing returns over time. Because if you keep trying to cash those checks, but your body doesn't have that cash in the bank, you just start to get hurt. You just start to get tired and you start to break down. And that's when the progress stops to ha stops happening. So we really, really, really want to emphasize this. Um, never go all out, never go all in on a workout, a long run, always, you know, try to keep yourself and your effort in check. Again, like default to that, like hard days, fast kind of mentality. Um, because, you know, in the, the, when we zoom out, the broader perspective here is, is longevity, right? When we think about that as athletes, we accomplish goals year after year, um, rather than just have one great season burn really bright and then fade away. No, we want to perpetuate this so we can really find out who we are. We want to perpetuate this forward so we can really accomplish goals and get better and all of that awesome stuff that comes with that, all the learning that comes with that stuff. So easy days, easy, hard days, fast, never go all out on a workout. All right, let me turn this over to Kylie for a second because I think that there's an underlying and fueling emphasis that's super important for athletes to think about in terms of training, not daily habits. We're going to get into fueling for daily habits later, but just in terms of fueling properly for long runs and workouts. Kylie, what, what do you see successful athletes doing on the fueling side when it comes to their day-to-day -day training? Yeah. So I think, um, a, a big one that stands out is going to be having a good pre and post workout routine. So that could be considered like a daily nutrition habit, but at the same time, I kind of link it with the training session that you're doing. Um, and for a lot of athletes, you know, you shouldn't really be running fasted <laughs> even, um, I would say for my injury prone athletes, even if you're running like a 30 minute easy run or something like you should still be eating something beforehand. Um, and I think that that message is, is really, it's confusing for people because they're like, Oh, should I not have food? Should I have food? And I always just err on the side of, you know, having fuel before your training session. Um, and that is going to depend on what time of day you're working out you know if you're working out later in the day and you've already had fuel then maybe you don't really need to have like a snack before your training session but if it's first thing in the morning you know trying to figure out like 
how can I get something down that's like 200 calories um, and mostly carbohydrate? Um, and then the same thing with post-workout, like especially for my morning runners, everyone's busy, but at the same time, like waiting three hours um, because you had to like shuttle the kids and go to work and all this stuff. Like you need to make sure that you have convenient options for yourself to get in fuel like as soon as possible to stop that muscle protein breakdown after your training sessions. Um, and then during training, I would say like we talked about, we've talked about this a ton on our calls, but like the long run should be your dress rehearsal for race day. <laughs> so trying to think about even pre-long run, like what would I want to have on race day? Um, not having like maybe an egg and pancake breakfast every like long run morning, because you're likely not going to have that on race day. Um, and then thinking about, you know, I want to try all these things fueling wise, and I'm going to time the intake and practice how to carry all my fluids and figure out whether this fueling source or this sodium intake is going to work for me. Um, I also suggest like you can think about doing some of that on higher and higher intensity workout days too. Um, so thinking about maybe bringing some um, fluids with you, some of your uh, gel, like gels or chews, if you're planning on using those, maybe not whole food options, because um, if you're doing faster efforts, like it's going to be harder to break those things down, but gels, chews, hydration mix, that sort of thing, practicing with that during workouts can be a good idea to just get a boost and also see how those things react when you're going a little bit at a quicker pace. Um, so I don't know, hopefully, I don't know if I covered all the bases there, but I think I did. And then also we've done like a bunch of calls, even that last nutrition call we did on, you know, how to put together that fueling plan. Totally. And this is, this is about, you know, the, the principle that athletes have to fuel the mission. Um, this isn't about the deep dive on what that is because we've, we've already done that, explained that really well in the last call and in calls in the past. So athletes, you know, guys refer to that if you're, if you're not sure where to start, um, but understand that fueling the mission is going to help you be successful, successful athletes have done things like the sweat test, the fluid loss test. They know what they need. They're practicing this in workouts and long runs. Um, even sometimes if it's inconvenient, um, that's kind of something that I've been thinking about lately as I get ready for hopefully a big race in a month. It's like, yeah, man, it's sometimes it's a little inconvenient to like, you know, not eat your eggs and bacon, but like, yeah, you're not going to get to eat your eggs and bacon on, on race day. You're probably going to be in a hotel, probably going to be driving, you know, to a race start. You know, you have to start to implement these things that are actually practical and are going to mirror what you'll experience at the race itself. And really successful athletes, athletes who continue to improve all the time are doing that because it offers the opportunity to then tweak and refine those things and make them better and better along the way. And as you know, Kylie and I have rapped about a lot on past calls, like the thing about fueling is that's really the main process there because everybody's really different. I can't you know, we can't say successful athletes use spring energy gels. That's, that's not true. Successful athletes use what works for them. And they've tried a lot of different options in order to figure out what that thing is. Um, and so this kind of leads me to my next principle, which is embracing imperfection. Um, this is kind of the, the part of the day-to-day -day that I feel like is hardest for people um, doing the work is, is generally 99% of the time, not an issue for athletes, especially athletes on this team. Like we're all super committed. We all show up, we do our work where we get hung up doing that work is when the work doesn't, uh, align with our expectations or it doesn't feel good. We have bad days or we have to, you know, modify the training plan because life gets in the way. 
Um, that's where athletes get hung up. That's where really high achieving people, I think in life get hung up. And there's like a little connection there between the athletic lens and then applying that to the greater circumstances of who you are and what your life looks like. Um, that imperfection is really what hangs people up and makes it difficult to perpetuate the process forward and reach those goals. So, you know, a big thing for us and something that we see is athletes who are very successful, accomplish a bunch of goals all the time and continue to grow. They tend to let those imperfect days go a lot quicker than athletes who, you know, are a little newer or struggling with these things. Um, what's really important here is that like, whether your build went imperfectly, whether your training block went imperfectly, whether it was just a, a run that went unperfectly, like imperfectly, we have to all kind of collectively understand that the process is inherently imperfect, no matter what. And when we operate from that understanding with that principle in mind, it gives us the ability to give ourselves grace and to ditch the imperfect, like the perfectionist tendencies that we all have, like all, like, I feel like it's not all high achieving people because this is a learned skill, but a lot of high achieving people with big goals have perfectionist tendencies. It's something that we see and that can inhibit us in the process. Remember, don't make like, you know, just, just be good at showing up, just be good at putting that work in and moving forward. We don't want to um, you know, make perfect the enemy of good. We want to embrace showing up and being good enough each day. And when things get a little rocky, maybe that workout didn't go that well. Yeah, we reflect on it. We accept that and we move on knowing that the next day we have another opportunity to try to learn from what happened and then to execute at a higher level. Um, and I, I want to turn it to Drew for a second, because I think this leads in really nicely to what successful athletes do when they're sick, when life stuff comes up, when they're feeling under the weather. Drew. Yeah, for real, you saying be good at showing up. I mean, yeah, sure. But there are things that kind of uh, help us to get out of our routine, um, which is super um super tough to get into like a consistent routine. So when you get thrown off it, it sucks. One of those is getting sick. All of us get sick. That's not something that you're going to avoid. Um, I know that a lot of us being locked in our houses for a couple of years that helped a little bit, but now we're all seem like getting sick more often, which, you know, it is what it is. But uh, usually we say when you're sick and have symptoms pretty much from like the, the neck down, obviously we want to have some rest, uh, let your body, you know, process all of that, um, uh, which includes fever BT dub. But, uh, the idea, what I tell my athletes is that if you are unsure, you're like, I just don't know if I, I feel like I could run, but I'm not sure. I mean, I'm just kind of in that like gray zone, that purgatory, um, that you make the decision on if you're going to run the next day before you go to bed the night before. Um, I like to do that because it, it kind of takes the guesswork out of it in the morning. I don't know anyone that wakes up first thing in the morning, like I feel fantastic. Right. Um, it's really easy to bail when you make that decision in the moment. And so the night before you go to bed, you decide then I'm either too sick to run tomorrow or I'm going to run tomorrow, go to sleep, and then follow through with the plan uh, the next day. It just makes everything easier, especially if you're meeting with a group of people. Um, if you say you're going to do something, make the decision the night before and follow through with it the next day, regardless of how you feel. Uh, commit to yourself, really. Yeah, I like that. You know, that's a big value of ours at Microcosm. And I think, you know, athletes see that in our coaching the way that we show up. And so we want to model that for people. Commitment is hugely important. And so if you, if you operate in that gray area, um, oh, I'm not sure. Oh, I'm not sure. Oh, I'm not sure. You know, you're, you're just kind of waiting for something to like give you permission to go out there and do it. And no, that's a hard no. Like what you need to do is to kind of embody what you want to feel like and then act from that place. Um, and so, you know, commitments are hugely important. Um, if you feel sick, if you're sick, 
you know, 24 hours in the 24 hours before your run, a successful athlete knows, no, that's a hard stop. I need to give my body more time to recover. I'm zooming out. I'm thinking long-term. I'm thinking long-term health. I'm not going to go out there. And an athlete who is progressively feeling better and better over the course of that day then can make that commitment in the evening. Yes, I'm going to try a 20 to 30 minute run tomorrow. And if it if the first 10 minutes doesn't feel good, I know I have long-term goals. I have a long-term perspective. I'm going to stop. I'm going to rest the rest of the day. And then I'm going to give it a chance again tomorrow. And I'm not going to judge myself for not getting, you know, healthier, quicker. I'm not going to judge myself for not getting a couple extra miles in today. I'm going to let those things go. I'm going to let those data points go. And I'm going to focus on the long term, getting healthy. Because when I'm healthy, then I can do the work and the work creates growth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's super important. And I'm glad, Drew, that you you brought up that commitment aspect to this because, you know, successful athletes, they are really committed and it shows in their actions. Um, another thing that I really wanted to mention, which is, again, a habit that's right in that same vein, um, athletes who do well in this process, who, I love this part, they accomplish their goals year after year, big goals that they didn't even think were possible. They check in every day, but they don't check in because it is going to create a response from the coach. They check in for themselves first because it's a process of self-reflection and self-learning. And it's the, it's the vehicle that they understand and use to then develop these habits over time, to see the patterns and to learn about themselves so they can more effectively train. Um, this, the check-in is, I think, sometimes a, a wishy-washy area. And so I really want this to be clear. Successful athletes do the check-in for themselves first, not to elicit a response from a coach. The, the response from the coach is secondary. Your primary part of this, the onus is, is on you to talk about how you feel, how the run felt, how your legs feel, how your lungs feel, how life is attributing to the training, all of that stuff. That, that's the onus is on the athlete to do that. Then the coach steps in and provides feedback on that. It's not the, the coach's job to extrapolate a ton of information from a bunch of stuff that's not concise, the athlete needs to do that work because that's the work that allows you to develop self-awareness. That self-awareness leads to independence and independence leads to more successful outcomes on race day. There's no other way around that. That's how it works. So I really want to be clear. The athletes that I work with, the athletes I see on this call, they do that. They do that super, super well. And I love that because I then don't have to tell them how they feel. I don't have to tell them how to be aware of themselves. They participate in that process and develop those tools and understandings over time. And then they go out and crush it. And it's freaking awesome. Um, it's very powerful. You know, that check-in is really key, but it's for you. That check-in is always for the athlete first. Um, and so I really want to make that clear. I hope that's clear. All right. Last piece of this before we get into the mind-body connection, which is something that I think is really important, um, is, you know, the training can sometimes feel like work and the training sometimes feels like a grind. And that's because when we're working towards hard you know, goals that are hard to accomplish, there is an element of work. There is an element of grinding. Um, but successful athletes try to make that process as joyous as possible um, at all stages. And this is, again, another learned skill that comes from participating in the process over a large amount of time, you know. And I think for high achieving people, we're really used to doing the work. We're very good at grinding, getting it done. And sometimes that inhibits us from seeing the joy factor that really exists in the journey, in the process. Uh, and so I do, again, want to emphasize 
whenever you can, your training should try, you should try to make your training fun. You should try to spin it in a way that reflects who you are, your values, the things that you want to get out of this process. Because the more you do that, the better the connection is between you and the work, the running and the work, the better the association is there. If it's always work, you're going to eventually feel like you, you know, like you're going to eventually feel burned out. You're going to eventually feel like it's a grind to go out there and run. And then it's going to be harder to want to repeat that work, especially when you get into harder workouts, especially when you start to really want to go deep and, you know, get better and go for a goal that's going to involve a lot more commitment. Um, and so when we find joy in the process, when we work to cultivate that along the way, it makes these things a little bit easier. It creates a, a positive association and that positive association then makes us less reliant on the external motivators that exist out there. And overall, we start to get better. We build more intrinsic confidence. We feel better about our goals. Um, we start to embody our values and act from that place rather than waiting to be confident enough to go for a big goal. Um, all of these things really start to manifest from that place. So I really want to reiterate that whenever you can find joy, if that means like doing your workout on trails, cause you love trails more awesome. Do the workout on trails. If that means, you know, doing a group run and like not necessarily hitting like your easy pace, but going someone else's easy pace. So you can chat with them on your long run. Great. I want you to do that. Like if that means like doing some of your long runs as adventures, awesome. I want you to do that because those are, if those are the things that fuel your inner fire, you're much more likely to get out there and on the hard days, get out there too, and continue to put that work in over time that creates successful outcomes. Um, yeah. So think about that, digest that information a little bit. I think that can be sometimes challenging for for really high achieving people. I know that it was really hard for me when I first kind of got on this journey myself. Um, all right, let's talk about the mind and body connection um, and mindfulness a little bit because really successful athletes are dialed in on this stuff. They're continually recognizing the importance of how the brain and body work together. They understand that wellness is mental health and physical health. It's not you know, just physical health. Um, and they're constantly doing like little things to, um, yeah, increase their awareness around mind and body, the connections that exist there. And they're doing that because it helps them build awareness. It helps them build confidence. It helps them on race day, all of this great stuff. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Sarah for a minute, just to chat on this stuff because she's the expert on this. Yeah, so I think um, thinking about mindfulness um, really connects to everything that TJ was saying about the log and checking into the log and checking in with yourself first. So that check-in with yourself is only going to give you information if you know how to read the signs and signals that your body is sending you. Because if you don't have that awareness, then if your body is trying to give you little signs like, hey, this is tense, this is tight, there's too much here, but you're not um, used to what those cues are, you're not communicating with your body, you're taking the time to ask it how it's feeling, you're not getting that information, and then your log is less informed and your own um, understanding of what's happening is less informed. So thinking about mindfulness as a way to become an expert in yourself, your body is constantly giving you feedback all the time. And it's up to you to sort of pay attention to that feedback and then learn what feedback is, is real and what's sort of being influenced by emotion or your environment and those sorts of things. And mindfulness can really help you differentiate between those things. When we practice mindfulness, we can learn when our nervous system maybe is activated and we are responding from a place of fear. And then through, if we've been practicing mindfulness a lot, we then have the power to say, oh, hey, that's a fear response. I know how to calm myself down or get myself in a regulated state so I can move forward. So that's why we're doing it. That's why it's important. I also know that mindfulness is really intimidating to a lot of people um, because people, I think, sort of like imagine 
silence and a sterile room and like this sitting still calmness thing that many of us who want to run for hours and hours at a time maybe aren't super comfortable sitting still for a lot of time. So like any habit that you're going to start um, or that you want to integrate into your life, you want to start small. So you don't need to sit in silence for 30 minutes, um, totally, uh, you know, owning the mindfulness thing. Like you want to start small, aim for a couple minutes, aim to, you know, set that timer for 10 minutes. And um, if you only make it three or four, that's okay. Exactly what TJ was saying about embracing our mistakes. When we start any new habit, we don't expect perfection from ourselves because it's a new habit. So that means that both when we start it, so in each instance, so we're doing a mindfulness thing, that itself doesn't need to be perfect. And I don't need to do it seven days a week. I don't need to do it. I don't have to do it hundred percent of the time, right? We want to give ourselves small manageable goals. So maybe I'm aiming for three times a week, or maybe I'm aiming for five times a week. Um, and then every time that you do it, you're celebrating, not like, oh, I wanted to do it for 20 minutes and I only did it for 10 minutes. Like I did it today. I tried today. So really focusing on those. And this is for any new habit that you're starting. You start small and then you focus on the little um, milestones along the way. I like, I really believe in trackers, like checking things off and seeing like, Hey, you know, I thought mindfulness was going to be really hard. And those first couple of weeks, I could only do one or two days, but look, I did four days the last two weeks and, and being able to visually see that I think is helpful. Um, and then there are a lot of different ways to do mindfulness. So, um, you know, meditation, mindful meditation is the thing that most people think of and what comes to mind for most people. Um, there are movement meditations, walking meditations, um, literally thousands of available guided mindfulness practices are online for free. You just have to Google or go to Spotify. You do not have to start from scratch and try to do it on your own. That can be really challenging, um, especially if silence or being sitting still is hard for you. Um, a guided visualization or guided mindfulness where somebody is talking and walking you through the steps can just make it so much easier. So if you're starting out, don't try to do it on your own. I would really recommend using a guided um, visualization. So you can um, do like a more formal practice. Like I was talking about where you set aside some time and you go to a quiet place and you, you know, really try to sit with stillness or you, and, or you can try to integrate little mindful moments throughout your day. So maybe while you're eating, you maybe just spend five minutes or three minutes where you take a couple deep breaths before you eat and really have a sensory experience with the food. And you're really tuned in to each bite and the chewing and the swallowing, and you're just totally centered and present. So when I talk about that, like daily mindfulness, the idea of present moment awareness. So just being fully present um, and tuned into all of the things that are happening. So, you know, you're eating and you're thinking about all the things you have to do later today. Instead, you're focused on the meal in front of you. And that's a mindful moment. Um, awesome. There's so, one, can I just go, go ahead? One? Okay. Just one thing that I think is super helpful for runners is um, the body scan which I think doing before and or after runs, starting with your head, working your way down to your feet and just checking in and seeing what's tight, what's uncomfortable, where's tension um, before and after the run. So when you're doing that check-in and we're saying, did anything change during the run? If you know, hey, before I ran, there was no pain in my knee and now it's just like a one or a two and I might not have even noticed it, but now I've done this body scan and I've kind of tuned in a little bit. So that's it. Yeah. Thanks for, I think that like, that, like that nice takeaway there at the end is really helpful with an action step for an athlete who's, you know, maybe got the fundamentals down, you know, they're a consistent runner, but they're looking to build the habits that help take them to the next level. I mean, these are those habits, um, you know, foam rolling and all that. It's not for everybody. Um, although we recommend it, I think it's really helpful. Um, a, a great way to learn about where you're sore is to just start foam rolling a little bit, different areas of your body a little bit after each run. Um, and you'll quickly realize where you're holding tension. Um, and sometimes the body scan 
and the fan getting the roller out can be super helpful together. Um, so little things like that, that athletes, you know, don't always recognize is a mindful practice actually is. Um, and again, this kind of goes into, you know, this part about visualization and effectively using that tool. Uh, that's a habit that athletes really lean into who have success. Um, they're using that at every stage. And so like this really plays in nicely. That's a mindful practice. Um, and so like using those small examples of when you're sinking into presence and mindfulness, you can then kind of use that to, I don't know, uh, take, just untangle some of the stigma that exists around mindfulness, right? Because we're all actually doing this. Getting in the training log and checking in is a mindful action. If you're an athlete who takes three minutes to think about how their run went, how their life is going, how everything works together. Like if you're thinking about those things, don't even bring the life into it. You don't have, you know, if you're just thinking, how are my legs? How are my lungs? How did I feel? That's mindful. You know, you can bring the life stuff in later if you feel comfortable doing that. It's not, you know, it's it's not mandatory. Um, but I would say what isn't mindful would be good, bad. You know, I get athletes who write good, bad in the log and nothing else, no context. When there's no context, there's no presence, there's no mindfulness. Um, and so externalize those things as a process for yourself. It's a mindful practice that helps you to build your awareness. And then through that, you might start to see that there's more opportunity for growth there. Okay, maybe I introduce that body scan. Okay, introducing the body scan is allowing me to see where I have some tightness developing. Oh, it's, you know, after a long day of work, my shoulders get really tight, my upper back's tight. And then it's hard to put my pack on before I go running and it feels uncomfortable to run with the pack on Saturday, but my long runs require me to run with the pack. What do I do? You know? And so then you can make an adjustment uh, maybe to your posture during the day, or maybe, you know, how you recover on Friday night before your long run, except, I mean, there are a million examples of this and how it really works effectively for athletes and why athletes who are successful do these things because it really makes a difference. Um, especially when we've already got the foundation, the consistency, we're good at putting in the work. Now, how do we make that work really work for ourselves long-term? How do we avoid injury and burnout? How do we continue to level up even through the challenges? You know, the answers are right here in this call. Um, thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it. And looking forward to doing an even deeper dive on the mind and body connection on a future call, because I think, you know, we're just scraping the surface. I mean, this is just one of the most important areas for athletes. Um, all right, let's, you know, in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes or something, I want to just get into some of the lifestyle components to all of this, right? Like, you know, we've got kind of our training components, we're good at running easy days easy. We run our hard days fast. We're not going all out on workouts, all of this stuff. Um, but, you know, day to day, there's kind of like perceptions, there's mantras, there are, um, you know, ways to fuel, there are, you know, ways to develop a community and a village around us in support. Um, there are all these really important things that I think mix everything together. It's not just training. It's also like a way of being. It's also a way that we can apply things that we learn in an athletic life to make our lives better. And when we elevate all of that stuff, we tend to be more successful because we feel better about ourselves. Our lives feel like they're in better alignment with our values. Um, we have we have that connection, that deeper connection all the time. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is never going to bed hungry, making sure that you have a balanced plate, all of this stuff on the fueling side that goes beyond what you ate the morning before your long run and how you fueled during the day. Um, Kylie, let me, let me ask you to just talk a little bit about these, these habits and routines. Sorry, you caught me mid coffee sip there. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I, I do get a lot of questions actually about this in, in regards to also in the morning if you wake up and you're hungry too. I feel like I get a lot of questions about that. Like, what does that mean? And usually, you know, I like to say it oftentimes means the day before. Maybe you didn't get in enough fuel. Maybe you need to then do a better job um, on this day that you're currently in waking up hungry uh, and try to fuel a little bit extra. Um, so we've talked about this in the past, but habit wise, I think um, trying to get a good structure in regards to your intake uh, is a good place to start. So making sure you've got windows of time where you are prioritizing getting in fuel throughout your day and making that a non-negotiable for yourself. And I, we work with a lot of athletes that are like, oh, well, work, I, I can't take a break from my computer. I can't get up um, from the computer and usually say like, then pack your lunch and bring it to your desk. Because um, like, if you are putting the time into your training, you need to prioritize some of these other habits, lifestyle habits to support you. Um, uh, in your overall training and performance. So having, it's not a matter of 8.30 a.m. You have to like have breakfast at 8.30 a.m. on the dot, but it's more like windows of time between seven and nine, I'm going to eat a proper meal between 12 and two, I'm going to eat a meal, etc. And then um, having some snacks at your desk actually is a good strategy because if you can't get up and you're only having three meals a day and you're training a lot, then that might be um, shorting you on your nutrition because a lot of people have a hard time just like getting in that volume of food at one time just between three meals throughout the day. Um, so I usually recommend like having some desk snacks with you or also in the car, like having your some like emergency snacks in the uh, console there. Um, and then uh, pre-bedtime, sometimes it can be a good habit to just have a, like, I, we do suggest maybe a little bit higher protein option before bed with a little bit of carb, just because it can help, you know, promote that muscle recovery. Um, but, you know, if you want to have like a little bit of ice cream or something, that's totally fine. It's just, if you notice that you're like consistently hungry in the morning or like before bedtime, it shouldn't be a matter of like, I can't eat after 7 p.m. Like we're creating these rules around um, intake. Um, and so, so the regularity of eating, being prepared with snacks, maybe having a, having a bedtime snack often just so to ensure that you're not waking up hungry. Um, and then the other thing is the hydration piece, which I think sometimes is overlooked. And this is like my biggest flaw as well as like, I do not hydrate enough. And it's something that I need to consistently remind myself of. Um, but forgetting that piece and then just focusing on the food intake, you know, that can be detrimental to performance as well. Um, and being dehydrated can either, um, increase appetite or decrease appetite and it and it you know it depends on the person but um thinking about like how can I maybe I pair my my flu fluid intake with my meals and snacks or like before my run I'm always going to take in a certain amount of fluids etc so like thinking about that hydration intake as part of your habit and routine as well I think can be really helpful um so those are just a few tips and I just, it's like such a, you know, it's such a deep uh, topic that we could like talk an entire Zoom call or more <laughs> about this kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. Just trying to like set the stage for, and we have talked about this before, but like set the stage for like, you need to make it non-negotiable. You need to have things in place to set you up for success with your fueling whether that be reminders and windows of time and snacks in place at the desk or whatever you know just like having to set yourself up um and being aware of like where are my weak points I think is good because then you can focus on those areas like lunch is always a big challenge for a lot of people and it's like 
okay, well, maybe we focus our energy there so we can get better at that, you know? Totally. And I think a lot of these, excuse me, a lot of these changes are made one step at a time. Mm -hmm. So something I, you know, if I hear an athlete, oh, I'm struggling with my energy throughout the day. You know, first thing I ask about is, you know, are you getting three meals in a day? And then it's, are you getting snacks too? And it's like, oh, no, you know, usually I hear no, like Mm -hmm. almost all the time. It's like, I'm missing a meal um, or my snacks don't have protein in them. And, you know, these little, these little red flags start to develop. And then, you know, to address that, it's one step at a time. What's one thing you can do tomorrow that'll help you start to get a better grasp on this so we can avoid the same day energy deficits and things like that. And like, the point is like, we want to use some of these like loose guidelines to then go deep. And it's like, what, what's my, what's my, my checkpoint here? Everybody's is a little different. Like, Some people it's like, I start to feel less patient. Oh, that's a sign I'm not eating enough or I'm going to bed hungry. That's a huge one. I'm, that's a sign I'm not, you know, eating enough. Uh, My workouts feel flatter. I don't feel as fast on my speed workout days. Okay. Another indicator, you're probably not eating enough. And so when we start to learn what our indicators are, you know, Sarah mentioned this as a huge part of mindfulness. Um, I like to use like the illustration of like, you are your own best heart rate monitor. Like we are, we know ourselves well, if we, our bodies give us signals, if we're listening, if we're too busy in the day to day, sometimes we don't hear those signals. And then we end up, you know, missing out on a meal and then having a bad workout or having a series of bad workouts, et cetera. And so it's super important to try to become attuned in those signals. This isn't like some hippy dippy thing. This is just becoming an aware athlete, um, knowing where your pitfalls are. Again, you know, the training log, awesome opportunity to get into some of that stuff and figure those things out. Um, You know, I love it when I'm working with an athlete and we like get to a root cause um, through questions and, um, you know, the athlete being a really active participant in that process. I mean, that's just how it works. It's awesome. Um, Yeah, let me turn it to you, Drew. I want to hear about the importance of relationships and community. This is probably one of my biggest things um, personally uh, with my community here in Northwest Arkansas. Um, Not, not, I mean, obviously it's important to create community here uh, because if you're going to be a part of it, you have a say in, in the group that you're with, right? So uh, like-minded individuals, people that challenge you, people that make running fun, uh, people that hold you accountable, um, all of that. And, and not just like waiting around for someone to contact you, but for you to like reach out and create that community, create that group, right? Um, so being really proactive with the creation of your running community um, helps you feel like you're a part of something, which at times when we have like lulls in training or we just don't feel good to have a community around us to help lift us up and and help get us over, you know, whatever it is we're going through is really important. Uh, Beyond just community as it pertains to people that you're running with or hanging out with on a daily basis, um, relationships with physical therapists or massage therapists or chiropractors or or their, whatever therapy, uh, trying to create connections in that space um, so that if, and, and honestly we run, right? So when things happen, you've got uh, resources to reach out to people that know you. Um, speaking of myself, I have a therapist, a physical therapist here in town that I know by name. They know me. We see each other. We're actually kind of loosely affiliated with the same run group or whatnot. Uh, but I schedule like monthly like meetups with my PT just to like go in and be like, I'll walk in there like, Drew, what's wrong with you today? Like nothing. I feel perfect, but I'm here to have you maybe put me through a stretch routine, uh, talk about how training's going and just check in with me to make sure that, you know, everything's going well. Uh, it, it creates a really awesome uh, relationship, uh, he and I, um, and so that when something does go wrong, he's he's already like one step ahead of me and it's like, well, I know what you've been doing. I know what you're training for. 
let's get you taken care of. And it just makes life so much easier. Um, I've got a massage therapist here that I do the same thing with, uh, uh, creating your your village, so to speak, right? Creating a, a really awesome network of of people to help you along. That really can't be understated. Yeah, I agree, and I'm glad you said that so well, Drew. It is absolutely a vital piece to this whole thing. If you're an athlete with big dreams, likely those dreams are so big it's going to require help to get there. And if you don't think it does dream bigger, dream much bigger, because the dream isn't big if you think you can accomplish it alone. And it really takes having people with you, lifting you up, sharing in the ups and downs, um, you know, experts that can help you through an injury. That is like such a, mm, an important component. I mean, I would put that like right up there with running easy days, easy, like, it's fundamental to what we do, surrounding yourselves with those people, building out the culture that you want to surround yourself with is so important. We talk a lot about culture, the culture of excellence at Microcosm. You know, we're working to achieve goals, goals that are difficult, that push us both mentally and physically. And, you know, what do we have around us to help us with that support? We have our teammates, we have our coach. Um, you know, hopefully we have a run group that we get to run with, you know, every now and again, um, we have, you know, a PT or, you know, a massage therapist, maybe a therapist, maybe a mental performance coach, all there's all there's many different ways to build your village, build that army, build that community, however you want to, to call it. Um, but successful athletes have people around them who support them and they give back to those people too. And then they get out there at their race. I was just talking about this when I was skiing with Jeff Colt, an amazing runner. You guys have probably heard about him. He talks a lot about community and thinking about community when he's out at races. You know, he won Bandera recently and he was telling me all about how he visualizes his community back at home when he's out running. He visualizes them thinking about him and he visualizes them and how that empowers him to really go deep on race day. It's about community every step of the way. If you leave that to the side, I think you leave a lot of potential there too. So think about that, guys. Um, all really, right. Really quick before we oh, move yeah. to, I, I just want to reemphasize that this is not something that you wait until you need it to create. This is something that you create now so that when you do need it, the groundwork has already been laid so that you've got that support at your fingertips ready to go when something happens. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Drew. Drew, I want to put you on the spot again um, because I think that Successful athletes also take really good care of their gear. Um, they keep track of the mileage on their shoes. Can you just talk to us about the importance of all of that? Yeah, I wish I had a dollar for every time someone was like, man, my body's hurting, like something's not right. And then it turned out that their shoes had like 600 miles on them. So that is probably the easiest thing that all of us can do is just like log mileage on your shoes. Um, I know a lot of people, they like to, uh, that's honestly, that's why I got on Strava. And I understand half of you think that Strava is the devil. Cool. But like use something to like monitor mileage on shoes, especially if you have a shoe rotation, because um, that is the easiest way, in my opinion, to avoid injury is just to be aware of the, the uh, product that you've got on your body that's helping you stay healthy. If you were like shorts, shirts, who gives a shit, right? But your shoes are so, so important to make sure that they're, you know, within their appropriate range for whatever style. And everything ranges from like some maybe 200 miles, some maybe 600 miles, but like knowing the shoe that you purchase, what to expect, and then make sure that you stay within the range of mileage. Let me ask you a follow-up there. If you're an athlete who enjoy like is running well healthy you got a pair of shoes that you like would you drew you're you're a shoe expert man like would you recommend that an athlete changes shoes to a different brand a different style if they've got a shoe that's like already working for them what what's your um, default recommendation 
it's it's tough, right? Uh, I think that it is appropriate where if you have a shoe and that is like your shoe and that's like the only one that you like, it, it doesn't make sense to invest in another pair that's different that you just don't like as much. You'll find yourself continuing to wear the one that you do more often and then that other one just sits and accumulates dust. Ideally, you have multiple pairs of shoes that you like, uh, different pairs of shoes, as silly as it sounds, have different uh, is different structures, different uh, uh, patterns of wear and flex grooves in the bottoms of those shoes that create different run patterns and work different intrinsic muscle fibers in the body, um, creating, I, I guess, an environment where you're less likely to experience injury. You're, you're just a stronger athlete, like from the ankle down pretty much. Um, and so shoe rotations, definitely uh, utilizing different pairs of shoes is helpful. It's not the difference between going to injure you and going to keep you, you know, safe and healthy, but it's, it's probably better to have multiple pairs of shoes that are different in your current rotation um, and, and go from there. Yeah, I think it's, it's super important just to, re to realize that gear is one of these like lifestyle components. Like we keep good care of our gear. We wash our flasks out. We, we dry out our vest. Like, you know, we make sure that our shoes aren't overused. All of this stuff um, is a reflection on how committed we are, our ability to be present and mindful. And when we go through those little processes, they actually carry forth into life and how we respect other things around us. Um, so I would just offer that window to you guys. Um, and we got a great comment here. If you don't want to run on Strava, Garmin Connect allows you to track your gear too. Um, so I would, again, just piggyback off of what Drew said, track your track how many miles you have on your shoes. I can't tell you how many athletes I see get hurt because their shoes are worn out. It's not an excuse. We've got to take good care of our gear, replace shoes. It's like a couple bucks a day when you think about it cost-wise to have that pair of shoes. Um, so just replace them so much better than having to pay for an expensive PT visit. Um, all right, well, just, we've only got a minute left here. So just in closing, I want to touch on uh, three lifestyle points that I think are really great to close with. One, um, successful athletes, athletes who are effective they continually accomplish their goals. They have a growth mindset. They are always forward thinking. They're moving through the, the uncertainty that exists in being a person, in an athlete. They are moving through that with a growth mindset all the time. Um, and this is because growth happens at all stages of the process. It's even when you feel like it's not happening for you. It is happening. And I've seen this happen so many times with athletes. Oh, they're running less volume than they were before. Oh, they're working through an injury or a setback. And then all of a sudden, two months later, they're running faster than they ever were. And so when we have that growth mindset, when we're focused on moving forward, even through the uncertainty that exists, even sometimes when information is challenging, oh, you're not improving, your times aren't getting faster, we're still moving through that. We're growing. We're re recognizing that every time we put a step forward, we're investing in our long-term potential. And so that long-term potential is really important. Guys, everyone needs to have a long-term vision for yourself as an athlete. If that's one thing from the lifestyle component of this call that you can carry forth, it's have a vision for where you want to be in five years as an athlete. And then don't wait for that vision to come to fruition act from that vision that you don't need confidence. You don't need all of this extra stuff. You need to just embrace today the components of that vision and what you'll feel like in that state later on. Um, I'm telling you, this really works. Think about it over the weekend. Who do you want to be in five years? What will that feel like? What goals will you accomplish? What routines will you have? What events will you race? What kind of person in your community will you be? And then try to embody that now. If you can work from that place, you're, you then turn all of this other stuff that we often wait for as athletes, you turn it upside down. 
you know, be on a mission. Don't wait for confidence. Always track your long-term vision. That's where it all begins. Um, I think that that's really helpful. And I actually really want to dive deep into that on a call in the future. Um, but thank you. Thanks coaches and athletes for showing up. I hope you guys have a good weekend on the trails and the roads, wherever you find yourselves. Bye.